Welcome to the first episode of Talk in Prison with Tiff. Okay, I am so excited to be bringing out this show. This is something that I am so passionate about. Too many of our brothers and sisters finding their way in and out of the system, which I don't understand. I don't get it. Okay, I just don't get it. But this show is not going to be to glorify prison in any way. Um, I do just want to kind of put it out there, kind of put these stories out there to make you guys aware, you know what I mean, of what's waiting for you when you make certain decisions, okay? And with that being said, we're just going to go ahead and jump right into it. I want to go ahead and introduce our guest, Mr. Julius Hall, all right? Um, he was actually a police officer, just a little bit about him. He was a police officer um, at the Savannah Police Department where he actually did end up getting involved in a drug operation, which did ultimately lead him to prison. Um, but after prison, he did end up running for mayor. He did go ahead and start, or he is the founder and the owner of a black news media company, um, which I'll give you guys some more information about that, or I'll let him give you guys some more information about that. So without further ado, welcome Julius Hall. Uh -huh. Hello. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're pulling these things out. Thank you so much for being on the show. We are so happy to have you here. Let me get myself situated. Glad to be here. So, thank you. How are you doing today? Doing great. Very good. Very good. I can get my so, intern to do the right thing. Uh, I'll be all right. <laughs> well, best of luck to you with that. <laughs> um, so let's go ahead and jump right into it. Um, how was your childhood? Tell us a, a little bit about where you grew up, what elementary school or high school you attended, um, if you had any siblings, if you went to college, just, you know, a little bit about your childhood. Uh, childhood. I grew up in Savannah, Georgia, little city on the coast, east coast of Georgia, greatest city uh, right now in um, in Georgia. Um I went to high school here. Uh, uh, ain't but one real, real nice high school, and that's it right here. Um, Woodville Tompkins, only high school in the city of Savannah. It's 11 high schools, but we don't recognize all the rest of them. And um, so uh, that's where I uh, went to high school at. Uh, grew up on, um, in, you know, all, all sides of the, uh, I stayed everywhere except the south side and the east side. But, okay. you know, we kept moving because we we're always, you know, black people always moving. You know, we, we moved a lot. <laughs> and um, uh, eventually, uh, while I was in high school, I um, started working at the Savannah Police Department while I was in the 11th grade. And after that, I transitioned over to uh, being a police officer because uh, after working there for two years, uh, all the uh, detectives and other officers uh, talked me into becoming a police officer. And being around that type of environment, you get a feel to want to do the same thing that these guys are doing. So uh, I wanted to do it, and they talked me into doing it. And um, before you know it, at, at the age of 20, I was on the police department. Okay. Wow. So my next question was actually going to be, how did you come into the connection or how did you come into connection with the system 
but it looks like you got your start by actually working there when you were in high school. Well, the police department is not the system. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) The police department is a vital, essential uh, uh, element in our society, in all societies, because without the police department, uh, you would have chaos. Everybody would have their own laws that they would be trying to um, enforce. So uh, it's not really a part of the system. It takes you to the system. Okay. Um, if there's if there's anything out of line, um, but um, I became entangled uh, in the uh, criminal justice system because of it was just by chance that I was uh, I had a friend whose family were tied up with a bunch of guys that were out of Miami. And with these guys out of Miami, uh, we all became friends. And the next thing you know, I'm in their uh, drug operation. Um, It's in my book. It's a little bit more detailed than that, but I know I don't have time to tell you the whole book. And yes, I wrote a book. I just haven't released it yet. It's been on, it's been at Amazon being ready to be, sold for about a year now, over a year. Um, but I did not release it because I was running for mayor. And so I, I, I decided not to release it because my wife said there was just too much stuff in it to release it while you're running for public office. Um, even though it was my past, and I don't trip over anything that's behind me. My past is my past. That's 30 years ago. So um uh, I, I just haven't released it. I think I write book two first, you know, like the ghost series, the power series, how mm-hmm. he that he wrote the past first. I mean, he wrote the future first. Then he came back and did the past with how 50 cent grew up and all that. And all. Yeah. But, oh. you know, but I think I'll do book two and release that before I release book one. Okay. Yeah, because book two is a little bit nicer. It's after I came home. Okay. Okay. Well, we definitely be looking forward to that. Hopefully we can get you on to um, promote when that comes out. So you said you were working on the police force, um, part of the Savannah police department, and you became entangled with some guys from Miami. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how you ultimately did find yourself in prison? Well, yeah. uh, And it was just a bad decisions, you know, um, sometimes good people make bad decisions and that's what happened with me. Um, I was dating a young lady and, um, and her, her sisters were all dealing with these guys out of Miami who were selling drugs. We went out of town and came back a day early and they were not at the house. They were housekeeping, uh, house sitting. And, um, we came back a day early and, when I went to get a beer out of the refrigerator, it was hot. So I opened the freezer to put it in the freezer and I found these cookies in there and these little oatmeal looking, looking cookies. And that what happens to be drugs. And before you know it, I'm, instead of arresting them, I was <laughs> going into a partnership with them. I'd never dealt drugs before, but, uh, it was just the enticement of knowing that there was 
it, that it was lucrative. And um, I didn't think uh, it made bad choices. Next thing you know, um, three years later, I'm um, in federal court. So that's it, it, it's a long story. You'll probably see it in the movie when I make the movie. You probably could, you know, you could you could start in it as my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> and um, but uh, it, it was uh, uh, I, you know I did ten years on the Savannah Police Department, Savannah, Georgia on the police department. And um, I had no business getting into that. I was one of those officers that believed that you're supposed to protect and serve instead of uh, citing and arresting. Uh, you know, so when I went to prison, uh, guys who knew me from being on the street who were drug dealers and uh, other things um, respected me a lot because I didn't give them hell while I was in the police department. Had I been the hellraiser, then I could have probably gotten killed by one of them. But I, I tried to help people more than I tried to hurt people. You know, and that was part of what my makeup as a police officer was. Okay. And so when you did decide to, you know, not turn them in, just to go ahead and join the operation, did you feel like you maybe had the upper hand because you were already law enforcement or did you just feel like, you know, this is just a thing that you're doing and it's, you know, just a crime either way? Well, uh, no, I didn't. I wasn't wasn't looking for the upper hand. Like I say, greed got in the the way. You know, I I wrote a poem. I'm I'm also a poet. Um, I'm going. The third book is a book of poetry, um, and um, you know I got involved in in in, um, in, in the uh, drug game, not looking for upper hand. It was just greed, and um, knowing that there was this extra money, because then when I was in the police department, we was making twenty three thousand dollars a year. This was and what year was this? What time frame was this? Nineteen ninety. I know. I I got on in 1982. You know, and then and I think it was nineteen or twenty then, and then when I made corporal, it jumped up to twenty three. So you know, right now today, starting police officer in the same department is fifty thousand dollars. Wow. So, um, oh, you're saying wow, like you ready to go be a police officer? (laughs) No, I'm saying wow, like lucky the police officers, they don't have to make the decisions you made. Uh, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) They get a little bit more money. Everything costs a little bit more, though. You know, it's not. Yeah, that's true, too. You know, so. Definitely true. Yeah, so it, it, you know, um, before you know it, uh, you make decisions that affects your life and a lot of people's lives around you. And so, you know, I would just caution people to just think before they make those bad decisions because you can't get away for too long. I got away for two and a half, three years and, and, um, you know, it caught up to me and then catch up to everybody. So if you're doing something that you know that everybody's looking at you and you can get away with a lot of stuff, because people break laws every day. But 
when there's something that you're doing where there's a lot of focus on, you're going to get caught eventually. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. We'll eventually get caught. And so speaking of getting caught, uh, prior to your conviction, did you know exactly how much time you could have gotten if you got caught? Were you familiar, you know, with the laws and things like that, especially with you being a police officer? Well, the thing is this. People are really ignorant of the law. Me being a police officer, I was ignorant of that particular part of it. Um, you know that there's a chance that you might go to jail, uh, prison. You know that there's a chance that you might get caught. But you're looking at maybe, you know, you're doing state time and getting a lesser sentence. But when the feds step in, nobody really knows federal law. They say ignorance is no excuse for the law. Um, to not know the law, but it really is because you don't go and study the law unless you're a lawyer. So, right. yes, uh, I did not know um, what I was facing. Um, and um, had I known, believe me, I would not have gotten into uh, the drug business um, <laughs> because I ended up doing um, 21 years mm. on a life sentence. So, wow. And so right before you did go in to do that 21, um, do those 21 years, what are some of the last things you remember about the free world? Like what kind of cars were out or what kind of clothing trends, what kind of technology <laughs> or songs was out before you went in? Uh, Eddie Levert, I'd never forget. Uh, <laughs> uh, baby, hold on to me. <laughs> Prince was hot back then. Uh, 1999, Lil Ray, Corvette, <laughs> all those songs. Um, I remember, you know, cell phones were, uh, man, the cell, phone, cell phones were the size of uh, a, a shoe. <laughs> seriously, seriously. It was the size of a shoe. You put that cell phone inside your head, it was like the size of a shoe. Now look at this thing now. <laughs> you know? And, and, um, it wasn't no real cell phones. Everybody didn't rock around with cell phones. You had to have money to have a cell phone. And mm. you had to like, it was almost like one of them. And it, it, it was uh, hooked up to this big old thing that was like a shoe, big old shoe. And the, it hung, hung on there. Um, and you could have it in your car. The car phones were a little bit more modern. And then um, we had beepers. Beepers were the thing back then. <laughs> That was the thing. You could get all your messages and all your information just off of beeper. People would call and beep you, and then you had to beep, I mean, call them back. But that was, uh, they had this big uh, company back then was Beep One. <laughs> you probably weren't, I, even born. You weren't even born. I don't know anything about beepers or pagers <laughs> or Beep One or anything yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, well, pagers is what it really is. They call it a beeper, just not, but it's a pager. Okay. No, nah, I don't know about that. <laughs> and so when you did go in, what were some of the immediate differences you noticed about being in prison? Like the smell, the clothes, the food, the restrictions, things like that. Everything was different. Every single thing. I would uh, tell people that that's not where you want to go. You can be Billy Bad Butt if you want, but that's not where you want to go. Uh, everything is different. The smell, the food, everything. But see, and then there's a difference. When you go to 
uh, jail, you'll notice it. They, they, they treat you so bad because they don't want you to come back. It's not because they want to treat you bad. It's because they don't want you to come back. They want you to have be in the harshest conditions possible so that you won't come back. But when you go, the, there's a difference in prisons, the federal system and the state system. The federal system is way more smoother than the state prison. A lot of things that go on in state prison will not happen in federal prison. They just uh, hold you to a higher standard. Uh, I remember walking into the state prison and you got 25 inch color TVs on the wall. Back then, 25 inch was the, the thing. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, uh, you got the 25 inch color TVs. Uh, the grass was immaculate. The, the campuses for the prison, you could eat off the grass. It was manicured so well. Uh, they fed you chicken. They fed you food and asked you what piece of the chicken you wanted. They asked you, I'm serious, what piece do you want? Yeah, it, it's different. In, federal, in state prison, they just put it on your plate. You better go eat it. <laughs> you know, even though I've never been to state prison, I know that I've heard the stories. You know, but it, it's night and day. Uh, uh, no prison is where you want to go to. When I first went to prison in 91, 92, um, the, uh, the, uh, you could wear your own clothes. You could wear your own clothing that you could buy out of the commissary store, warm-ups and everything like that. But after the riots of 1995, they changed all that. We had money on the compound, real money. Um, and you had real clothing. Um, but after the riots of 1995, where they burned four or five prisons down, um, they, uh, they uh, took all that off the compound. You couldn't have real money and you couldn't have those type of clothing. Um, and believe it or not, the riots of 1995, I, I, I have an integral part in those riots. I, seriously, it, it happened at Talladega. It all started where I was. And it all started because of me, which is something that most people would ever, never know. It and I'm and you know you know I am a storyteller. Uh, I'm not a liar. I, I tell stories that fascinate people. But <laughs> seriously, the the rise of 1995 started because of me. Did you want to tell us a little bit about your involvement or what happened or what started the riots? Um, I, I'm an avid news watcher. Um, I watch the news. And in 1995, they were debating the crack law. Congress was debating the crack laws, and I watched the news 24-7. Well, until football comes on at night. Um, I, I used to watch the news all day long. I, I worked in the unit. I didn't have an outside job where I go outside the unit to work. So um, I'm watching the news every day. I'm watching the, the uh, them debate the crack laws. And I'm and everybody coming in saying, oh, why are you sitting there still? Why are you still sitting there watching the same thing? And I'm telling them what's going on. So every day that they come in now, they're watching it with me. They come on their lunch break. I, it went from two guys to 20 guys. Next thing you know, they're watching it in all the other eight units. Everybody's coming on their lunch break. And, and after they get off work, and they're watching the debate, the crack laws. So, and when they turned the crack laws down, they refused to give blacks a break because blacks were being sentenced at a hundred times worse than whites who did cocaine but crack was cocaine also you just cooked it so they were punishing blacks for, for, for cooking it 
So um, uh, when they turned the crack law down, the guys got enraged and they started burning the prison down right where I was. Now, had I not been watching, had I been working somewhere else and nobody wouldn't have known anything about it, they would have just thought it flash across the news one day. But this was intense enough for them to watch it every day for a whole week while they were debating it. And on that Friday, Thursday or Friday, when they turned it down, all hell broke loose. They turned in a beautiful campus that we were on, this prison campus, uh, into rags. <laughs> Burned down about four or five buildings, took officers hostage, all kind of stuff that they did. I had no participation in it other than <laughs> So you just gave them the information and you said, do what y'all will with this information. No, no, no. I was watching TV. Right. They, they saw what was happening. I didn't give a right. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. I got you. So speaking of a riot, um, now I want to get into a portion if we have a little bit of time um, for you to just tell us a couple of small stories. So that one first, is enough right there. Perfect. That was a great example oh, of what okay. I want you to keep doing. Because they that that they burned down prisons from them seeing us on CNN and us burning the prison down. Well, them burning the prison down. Well, I gotta say us because I was there. Uh we they started burning different buildings down at the prison I was at in Talladega. The guys in other states saw this and started burning prisons down there also. Wow. Because it was on the news in Tennessee, Atlanta, South Carolina, I think Kentucky. All these prisons got burned down. Oh, wow. Yeah. All because I was watching the news. <laughs> well, wow. That's that's interesting. That's very interesting. That's crazy. Um. The next thing I want to talk about or hear a story about, if you have one, is about the guards actually being able to protect inmates in a dangerous situation, like a riot, for example. Um, do you trust or do you think that inmates can trust that guards are going to protect them or are you pretty much on your own? Well, you, you're pretty much on your own, really. The guards are not there to protect you. The, guard, the guards are there to house you. Hmm. Um, nobody can be protected in prison. If they want to get to you, they can get to you unless the officer puts you away in time in segregation, special housing unit. Um, then you can be protected. But if, they, if you're on that compound, somebody can get to you anytime they want to. Hmm. I've seen plenty of stabbings, um, seeing plenty of people die. Hell, there was six, uh, in six months in 1993, 1992 in Long Park, California, where I was in federal prison, um, there was 11 deaths in six months. Wow. 11 deaths, 10 inmates and one officer. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, and so, where do you think the guards might have been during these ten inmate deaths? There's nothing the guard around? can do about it, right? Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's 135 guys and one officer, right? 135 guys and two officers, 
you know, you do the math. How can one, two officers stop somebody wanting to kill somebody over here if these two guys got beat? Uh, one of the incidents uh, where the officer died was there in Long Park with 11 deaths. Uh, the officer was going, running to help the inmate. And he had to run from outside the prison inside because they got something called deuces. They got, they made, if the officer ever made two, 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 that means everybody's coming to wherever that officer is. This officer uh, was running to help because an inmate had just got a long, long piece of fiberglass stuck all the way through him. He was he had a hit put on him by the Mexicans, and they killed him. And the officer walked in and saw it, so he pressed the deuces, and all the officers started running toward him. All of them coming from all over the prison. They got to come from outside and everything. They're running, you know, because you got to secure the inmates. You got to put them in their cells. You got to investigate. Everybody got to do, you know. So this one officer, he's still running. Had he running from the work factory. He was at the work factory. And he was running in. And uh, when he got there and he put his hands down on his knees, you know, tired, he looked at the, at the inmate with the whole uh, piece of fiberglass stuck in him, died dead on the ground. And he fell over with a heart attack and died himself. Yeah. He fell over and died himself. From shock? I guess the shock of seeing that and the uh, pressure that was put on him from running that far, because he came from a good distance, because you got to come with full speed ahead to help your uh, uh, comrades. So, wow. Wow. And I guess there was just nothing that could have been done about either one of those deaths. It's just not a place you want to be. Um, Speaking of well you actually did mention um the workstation um i know we're running out of time so i want to get into that a little bit what kind of jobs are there at the prison are you forced to work or do you get to choose they 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 ask you to work you get to choose where you want to work sometimes but not starting out you can they'll put you in the wherever job is available. They'll put you in um, mechanical. Uh, they'll put you in heating and air. They'll put you in the kitchen, in the kitchen. Or you might get lucky enough to get on the Unico list, which paid you more money. You got guys in prison making $1,000 a month in prison. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Out, out at uh, Long Park, you had a guy out there, he had six life sentences. He'll never get home. He killed two uh, DA agents. Um, he, they had him on 60 Minutes named Big Melvin. Big Melvin um, was making over $1,500 a month at in prison. Mm. In prison. Um, and Because uh, he worked in what they call Unicor. It's a private industry that comes into the prison and you work for them. And um, they pay you up to $1.10 an hour. And, um, and you work overtime, then you work and making $1.50 or more an hour. And he was putting in a lot of hours. And they make cable, the cables that go, that takes the shuttles up to, to, to uh, space. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's a lot of stuff that they do inside the federal prisons. Okay. Um, I wonder how much the federal prison is making off of that. If they pan out 
a dollar and ten cents an hour. A whole lot. And one last question uh, before we do go ahead and run out of time. Can you speak a little bit about being transferred from um, prison to prison? How many prisons did you actually see during your 21 years? Started out in Long Park, California. Did two years there. Went to Talladega in Talladega, Alabama. Did 10 years there. Left there and went to Coleman, Florida. Did uh, three years there. Left there and went to Atlanta and did my last seven. Okay. If I'm, I think those numbers average up 21 and a half years. Okay. And were you making any of those decisions to move yourself? Were you being transferred? How does that work? No. If you're a good inmate, then you can probably ask to where you want to go and they'll try to put you closer to home. So, okay. yes, you can help in those decision making that the decision-making process, but if you're bad, they send you wherever they want to send you. Yeah. Okay. Anywhere in the country, federal prison. Okay. But well, thank I you so that, much. That's a lot that I didn't get to. I know. And our black media and everything that I'm doing, but you can have me for a part two uh, whenever you want. I would definitely yeah. be setting up a part two uh, so we can go ahead and get to some more of these juicier questions. And I do want to thank you so much for stopping by. Um, I know we only had a little bit of time, and I do appreciate you coming on the network, on the channel today. All right. And thank where can we find you? Um, I know you mentioned uh, Our Black Media. Yeah, you can find us on Our Black Media. We have shows seven days a week. Our Black Media on YouTube. But if you really want to find us real fast, go to All Things Relevant Media on Facebook. All Things Relevant Media on Facebook. Our Black Media will be coming to Roku TV in the next few months. So we're doing a whole lot by September, the middle, before the September 15th, we'll be on Roku TV, um, airing every day with all of our shows. We have 26 to 30 shows. We When we finish, we'll have over 32 shows. So uh, y'all just tune in and watch Our Black Media. We're doing things. We got everything from sports to, to, to politics to uh, to uh, uh, religion, to finance, to natural health, to uh, 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 a food show, to uh, a business show. We get, we got it all. So we try to bring everything to you and give information to the public, uh, especially the African-American community, because the mainstream white media does not give us the, the news like, it, like we should have it. Okay. Okay, well, thank you so much. I definitely appreciate that. And we definitely will be keeping up with you. Um, I know you got to go. So I'm going to let you go. And until part two. Thank you for having me.
<laughs> my computer died. Okay. Um, I did just want to come back on so I could end the show. We did not have a lot of time. We only had literally half the amount of time. Usually, um, or going forward, the shows are going to be an hour, 45 minutes to an hour, or, you know, a little bit longer if we need that time. But today we did only have 30 minutes. So I was not able to get into all the questions that I will be asking or that I wanted to ask. But, you know, it's okay for the first show. We got a little bit of information, a little bit of background. Um, and so, like I said, I will be doing a part two. Definitely, I'm going to schedule that immediately and see if I can't upload it as soon as possible. But thank you so much for tuning in to the first show, um, the very first episode. I know it was a little rocky. We're going to get better <laughs> as we continue to air, okay? Um, consider being a sponsor or being advertised here on the show. Uh, the Cash App is down below, Talking with Tiff. The Zelle is also down below. If you do want to go ahead and donate, we greatly appreciate it so we can keep these shows coming to you for the free, you know? All right, guys, so I do have to go. Um, again, thank you for watching. <laughs>